Well, our friend Bill White sent me this a few weeks ago, and I have been saving it to use this weekend today on Super Bowl Sunday. What he sent said this, a friend of mine has two tickets for the 2017 Super Bowl, both box seats. He paid $1,700 for each ticket. He didn't realize when he bought them that this was going to be on the same day as his wedding, so now he can't go. If you are interested and would like to go in his place, it's at St. Peter's Church in New York City at 5 p.m. Her name is Sally. She's five foot four, about 115 pounds, a good cook, and makes $90,000 a year. She will be the one in the white dress. Well, I'm guessing that our city is less interested in the Super Bowl this year than we had hoped to be. But I'm also guessing there are many temporary Falcons fans in our midst today. And that even though we lost badly to the Patriots, many are still giving a very hard time to our resident Patriot fans. But at least we can watch the commercials. And the Super Bowl always means something else to some of us. And that is the next season of Survivor will start very soon. March 8th is the date, if you're a fan like me. And if you don't watch Survivor, that's fine. But I have to admit, I have been hooked for several years. I, I'm not hooked by the greed or the work that has to be done to stay alive in the remote locations where they film the show. And I'm not hooked by the girls in skimpy bathing suits who are beautiful the first week, but after living a few days in a remote location with no makeup, they're just ordinary people in desperate need of a bath. No, the reason that I always have the entire season set uh, to record on my DVR is because I'm intrigued by the relationships that are built. And I'm intrigued by the relationships that are destroyed on the show. It's definitely a study in human behavior. And let's face it, one of the most difficult places to survive is in this dangerous area of relationships. Many of our greatest joys and our biggest hurts come into our life because of relationships. Relationships with family members, relationships with friends, relationships with our work associates. And just like in Survivor, we spend a lot of time in life trying to surround ourselves with people who will be loyal friends to us. And sometimes we think we've done a good job only to be blindsided by someone that we thought we could trust. Have you ever been hurt by someone that you trusted to be loyal by them betraying you? This betrayal can come in a lot of different forms. It can be a boss that promises a promotion but passes you over for someone else. It can be a spouse who promises to be faithful to you but has an affair with someone else. It can be a friend who promises to keep your secret but then you discover the words out that the secret wasn't kept. It is the person who you call your best friend who only seems to have time for you when there's no one better to hang out with. 
And whether that happened in high school or yesterday, it just remembering it can cause intense emotional pain and perhaps some bitterness. And when this has happened a few times in your life, the temptation is to become callous, to become cynical. And if you're like many of us, you find yourself wondering if you can really trust anyone. And you may pull back from people altogether. You may isolate yourself so you won't be hurt like that again. And it is really sad for me when people tell me that they've just given up on relationships. I know relationships can bring the sharpest pain into our lives, but I also know relationships, when done right, can bring the greatest joy, the biggest comforts into our lives. And the difference between joy in relationships and pain in relationships seems to be our ability to find loyal people, loyal friends. And we know that this isn't easy. In fact, the Bible says that finding loyal friends isn't easy. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. It says, many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is really faithful? So how do we find loyal friends? Well, probably it starts with being a loyal friend making sure that you are the type of friend that the Bible would describe as faithful and loyal. And some of you right now, in the midst of your hurt, you're saying, I am a loyal friend. And I have been a loyal friend to many of the people who have later hurt me and betrayed me. And it's true. You won't find loyal friends unless you are a loyal friend. But here's the sad truth. Being a loyal friend won't guarantee that those who you're loyal to, those that you choose as friends, will be loyal to you. It's just not easy to find a loyal friend. And granted, it's hard, but it can be done. It can be done. The friendship between David and Jonathan proves that we can both find loyal friends and be a loyal friend. And if this is your first week at Impact for a while, today is the fifth week of a study that we have been doing on the life of David. In the Bible, he went from being a shepherd to being the king over all of Israel. And God called David a man after his own heart, a man after God's own heart. And so we've been looking at his life and we've been trying to discover how we can gain a heart for God, how we can be people after God's own heart. And David found a loyal friend in a very unlikely place. Jonathan, the prince, was the son of King Saul. He became David's loyal friend. And for this message, we're going to jump back in time. Last week, we, will, we dealt with David's sin and after he had already become king. And we dealt a few weeks ago with David's struggle with King Saul. But for today's message, I want to step back in time before Saul died and before David was king. I want to talk about this friendship between David and Jonathan. The friendship between these two men can show us several characteristics of loyal friendship. The first character characteristic I'll mention is loyal friends share mutual interests. They share mutual interests. Look at this passage from 1 Samuel 18. 
When David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan felt very close to David. He loved David as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him go home to his father's house. Initially, they began spending time together because Saul invited David to live in the palace. But the verse is very clear. Jonathan felt very close to David. They apparently shared common ideas and common interests and common values in life. They got along well. They probably laughed together a lot and they agreed with each other so much that they felt very close to each other. That's what happens when we build a true and loyal friendship with someone. Aristotle said, friendship is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. That's a good description. I've had the privilege of being married to my best friend for nearly 39 years. Our relationship did not start as a romance. It started as a friendship, and we grew to love each other. In fact, engraved inside my wedding ring are the words, my loving friend. I have another best friend. His name is Roger Storms, and he is a pastor in Chandler, Arizona. And we have been friends for over 35 years, and we have lots of mutual interests. We laugh together at the same things, sometimes to the chagrin of our wives. We love to share God's word with people, and we both love to travel. We have something else in common. It was Roger who spoke at the memorial service for our daughter Kayla in 1992, and I spoke at the memorial service for his son Jeremy Four years later. The point is, your loyal friends will be people that you have things in common with, that you share similar values and interests with. And the reality is, you won't be close to everyone. You can be friendly with many, but truly friends with only a few. And I think the very best place to make loyal friends is in church. It's in church. Here is a key that some of you may not know. The experts tell us you have six months to make six friends or you won't stay in the church. Six months to make six friends or you won't stay in the church. You don't have to know everyone at Impact, but you do have to know a few people. You do need to know a few people who attend the same Impact campus that you attend. And the friendships that I'm talking about usually are not built by attending a worship service on the weekends. They are built in growth groups. That's where you find people that you have mutual interests with and that you can build trust and lasting friendships with them. And we want our growth groups to do life together. I want our church to be open. I want our church to be accepting of new people. And I really think that it is. But it's also okay for people to spend time with groups of friends who they are doing life with. Occasionally, someone will tell me that they haven't found friends or they haven't found a good connection at impact. And many times, the people who say that haven't found a growth group yet. And so they're feeling left out of relationships. They see people talking and laughing and they don't feel a part of that. And they may have tried a growth group 
and it wasn't the right group for them. Sometimes that happens. You go to a group and there's just no connection there. And so they've gone to a group and it hasn't been the right group and they just quit going and they haven't tried to find another. Let me encourage you. If you feel lonely, if you want to build relationships, I suggest you start by finding a growth group here at Impact. Find people who you share mutual interests with and begin to build friendships there. Another characteristic of loyal friendship is loyal friends offer a mutual commitment. Let's go on with that passage from 1 Samuel 18. Look at what it says next. Jonathan made an agreement with David because he loved David as much as himself. He took off his coat and he gave it to David along with his armor, including his sword, bow, and belt. Prince Jonathan wants to seal his friendship with David. And so he goes through a ritual that was common at that time. He takes off his robe and his tunic. Basically, he strips down to his underwear and he gives his clothes to David. That seems weird to us, but we have some similar things. When I lived in Arizona, I was a season ticket holder for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I remember at the end of baseball season each year, they would have a fan appreciation night called the Shirts Off Our Back. And they would choose random fans. And at the end of the game, those fans would literally go down on the field and the team would take their jerseys off and hand them to a fan. And the fan got to leave with a dirty, sweaty jersey. And they felt honored by that. And um, that isn't the only place in our culture we do that. In high school, when a guy gives a girl his letterman jacket, what did that say? It said, we're going steady. I still say that to my wife, by the way, anytime she wears my coat. Well, I guess that means we're going steady, you know. But um, what did that say in high school? That said, if you mess with her, you got to deal with me. That's, that's what that said. Now, if I went and hung out in England and I became friends with Prince Charles and one day in a big ceremony, he took off his prince coat and then he stripped down to his underwear and he gave me his clothes as a sign of friendship, that would creep me out. <laughs> that would just be weird, wouldn't it? But it wasn't in David's day. When Prince Jonathan, the king's son, did this, it meant something. It meant this person is to be treated just like you would treat the prince. It meant this person has the covering of the royal family. So to seal the friendship, Jonathan gives David his clothes, but he also gave him his belt and his bow and his sword. And I'm not sure about the significance of the belt and the bow, but the sword was significant. Verse 3 again said, Jonathan made an agreement with David because he loved David as much as he loved himself. The sword was significant because it was used in the covenant ceremony. So, so how did this covenant ceremony work? I showed you this about seven years ago, but let's do it again. And I've asked a couple of people to come help me. So welcome them as they come out here on the stage. They're going to get down on their hands and knees right here in the center of the stage, and they're going to be a bull. These two guys are going to be one bull. That's right, one bull. There we go, one bull. And so 
in this ceremony, they would take an animal. It could be a goat or a lamb or a, a bull. And what they would do is they would kill it and they would drain the blood out of this uh, bull. And then they would take a sword, pr pretend I have a sword, and they would cut it right down the middle. That's right. You guys are doing great. Yeah, third time through and they're doing... Anyway, they would lay the two halves kind of apart from each other just like this. And then the two people or however many people were doing the covenant would walk through the middle of these two halves of the animal. They might do that a couple of times. They might walk back and forth between the halves. And somewhere in there they would mix the blood with water and then they would sprinkle each other with this blood from the animal and with this water. And um, what did the ceremony say? What they were saying is, may God do to me what we just did to this bull if I ever betray our friendship. They were saying, I will protect you and care for you even to the point of death. That's how important our friendship is. Kind of puts a new twist on becoming blood brothers, doesn't it? And the sword that Jonathan gave to David was significant because it was used to cut the animal in half and establish this covenant. Thank these volunteers, would you? You guys can go out and have a good steak or something after the service. So, when they got done with that part of the ceremony, then they would usually have a meal together. They would have a meal together, and that meal always included some important things. First, it always included some bread. It always included some wine, or in this case, some non-alcoholic sparkling juice. And it always included salt, though probably not from Shop and Save. So it, it included these things. And here's why it included these things. Bread was included because it was believed to be at that time the main thing that people needed to exist. The main staple in their diet. And then it included wine because it was something to drink, but it also would take care of the parasites and it would keep you hydrated. And the salt was something that was needed to protect and preserve meat. And again, this signifies the promise that loyal friends were making to each other. They were saying, I will make sure that you always have the basics in life. I will make sure that you always have the basics in life. And this was a common practice in their time. Sometimes friendships were sealed with, by just bringing bread and wine. If you look in the Bible in Genesis chapter 14, that's the first place that this was mentioned. Well, when Melchizedek gave Abraham bread and wine. He probably gave him salt too, but that isn't mentioned there. Can you think of anywhere else where we use bread and wine? We just did it. I can't help but see a comparison with our communion service. It is the sign of the covenant between ourselves and God. And just like Prince Jonathan initiated the covenant with David, 
the covenant between us and God was initiated by Jesus. And it's a blood covenant requiring the sacrifice of Jesus the Lamb. And so how does Jesus want us to remember this sacrifice? Bread and wine. And the bread represents the body of Jesus, the main thing that we need to live. And the wine represents the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sin. And Jesus himself referred to the communion wine as the blood of the covenant. The blood of the covenant. And this whole ceremony of communion reminds us that God will cover us and protect us and rescue us. So using bread and wine to seal a relationship goes all the way back to Genesis. And then God uses it to seal our covenant relationship with him. And still today, many cultures have adopted this tradition. For many, the traditional gift to take to a housewarming is bread and wine and salt so that the, the house will always have the basic needs. And this covenant that David and Jonathan made that day meant something to them. It wasn't just something that these two probably teenagers did. It was something that meant something for the rest of their lives. And if you read the scripture listed in your notes under the digging deeper section, you will see that Jonathan and David followed through on this covenant of friendship for their entire life. Jonathan risked his life several times for David, and he actively protected David. And he gave David supplies in times when David was in need and was hungry. And after Jonathan's death, David continued the covenant by taking into his home and caring for Jonathan's disabled son as if that son was his own. And you know what I'm thinking after thinking through all of this covenant stuff and this commitment in their friendship? You know what I'm thinking? We don't do friendships very well. We just don't. We just kind of hang out with people. And saying, hey, let's hang out is a lot different than saying, may God cut me in half if I'm not a good friend to you. And saying, oh, let me pick up the check this time is different than I will make sure that your basic needs are covered for your lifetime. And at Impact, we really want you and all of us to develop the kind of friendship that David and Jonathan had. And again, our growth groups are the best place for that to happen. But whether you do it through our growth groups or you just form friendships on your own, you need to find friends who you are committed to and who are committed to you. You don't have to slice an animal in half and walk through the middle. But all of us need people who we can count on and who know that they can count on us. Commitment is a characteristic of loyal friendship. The last characteristic that I'll mention is loyal friends encourage mutual growth. They encourage mutual growth. As we mentioned before, 
Jonathan's father, King Saul, became very jealous of David. And David had grown very popular with the people of the kingdom. And David had to run uh, and hide from Saul so that Saul wouldn't kill him. And even after David left the kingdom permanently, Saul was still determined to kill him. Look at this passage from 1 Samuel 23. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul was coming to kill him. But Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and strengthened his faith in God. Jonathan told him, don't be afraid because my father won't touch you. You will be king of Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made an agreement before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home. But David stayed in Horesh. By the way, if you look at the story of their life in full, you will see that this is probably the first time Jonathan and David had seen each other face to face in several years. And you will also catch the fact that it's probably the last time that they ever saw each other before Jonathan is killed in battle. But I love what the passage says. Jonathan went to David and strengthened his faith in God. The reason that Jonathan went to David was to encourage him to strengthen his faith in God. That's what loyal friends do. Loyal friends help us to strengthen our faith in God. They help us in our time of needs to see the love of God and the path that God wants us to take. Let me make two suggestions for encouraging growth and helping your friends get stronger in God. First, be there in times of need. Be there in time of need. Do you have friends that are struggling right now? I mean, maybe their spouse left them or they lost their job or there's a serious illness in their family. But for whatever reason, they're hurting and they're more in need than they have been in many years. Now, here's the ironic thing that happens. Sometimes when people are going through a divorce or going through a crisis in their life and they have more of a need in their life for friends, ironically, while they're struggling, that's where many people in their life seem to pull back, seem to avoid them. And the reason they do that is they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They don't want to make the situation worse. The Bible is clear. A loyal friend won't avoid them, but will go to them and offer support and help. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves you all the time, and a brother helps you in times of trouble. A friend is the first person who comes in when the whole world is going out. Be there for your friends in their times of need. Secondly, Be truthful in times of danger. Be truthful in times of danger. There's an interesting verse in Proverbs 27. Look at what it says. The slap of a friend can be trusted to help you, but the kisses of an enemy are nothing but lies. The slap of a friend can be trusted to help you. A true friend is one who will say what you need to hear even if it hurts, 
even at the risk of losing the friendship. They can point out our blind spots. They can confront the sin in our lives or the area where we're moving away from God rather than towards him. Now, hear me clearly. The slap of a friend that can be trusted does not happen through anonymous notes. It is, does not happen through casual or new uh, acquaintances. It comes as a result of a lot of relationship building. It's face-to-face -face conversations over time by two people who have earned the trust and the respect in each other's lives. Years ago, I had one of those conversations. A friend, a Christian friend, had a uh, child, a young adult that was engaging in premarital sex. And the child didn't live with her, but the couple through some series of events, needed a place to live. And our friend was going to allow her child and the other half of this couple to live with her, even though they weren't married. And her comment to me was this, well, it's really no big deal. After all, they are already married in God's eyes. I was her friend, and I was her pastor, and I was committed to telling her the truth. And so as gently as I could, I said, no, they're not married. They're not married in anyone's eyes. In God's eyes, what they're doing is sinning. And if it was my child, I wouldn't endorse and financially support them in the midst of their sin. It was a hard conversation. I remember another conversation. I was sitting in the driver's seat of my Volkswagen camper van and I was coming out of the mountains from a college age retreat and a good friend of mine was the speaker at that retreat and he said Steve can I talk to you about something and I said yeah he said you know the other night when you told this joke it really crossed a line it really was not wholesome it was not kind it was not and he said you know I just we're friends, and I, I want you to understand what Scripture says about our speech being uplifting and wholesome and good for others. You know what? It wasn't easy to hear, but he was right. You see, the slap of a friend can be trusted to help us. You know what can't be trusted? The flattery of people that don't care anything about you. The flattery of the people who will always agree with whatever you say, whatever you want to do, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing, that cannot be trusted. And so it's not easy to say those things to a friend or to hear those things from a friend, but you want to be the friend who is truthful in times of danger. So as we conclude this message on loyal friendship, I want you just to pause and ask yourself two questions. Here's the first. Are my friendships helping me or hurting me? Are my friendships helping me or hurting me? Think about your current friendships. Are they helping you to strengthen your faith in God or are they moving you away from God? The Bible is clear. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 
bad company corrupts good character. The fact is, sometimes we have built friendships with the wrong people. And some may need to distance themselves from some of their current friends because those friends aren't strengthening their faith in God. They're pulling them away from God. They're often encouraging them to ignore what God desires in their life. And you may need to build new friendships, friendships with people who will strengthen your faith in God. Believe it or not, that's probably the easy question. The second question is, am I a loyal friend? Am I a loyal friend? I find most of us are pretty aware of when our friends or our family members or church members haven't lived up to our picture of what loyal friends do or what good relationships ought to contain. We tend to know what we think should happen. We get pretty hurt when it doesn't. But often we don't hold ourselves to the same standards because we know about the busyness of our own lives and we have made excuses for why we haven't done some of the same things we expect our loyal friends to do for us. And so we should just pause and we should ask ourselves, am I a loyal friend? Am I really a loyal friend? Am I helping my friends find strength in God? Or am I leading them into gossip or criticism or other dangerous areas? Am I being a loyal friend? Am I following through on my commitment to them and showing concern for them? You know, it's interesting. At least three times, the Bible tells us that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Jonathan loved David as he loved himself, and that resulted in a loyal friendship and the loyalty that Jonathan showed to David. Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Does that sound familiar? It should. Because when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, look at what he said. Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and most important command. And the second command is like the first, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what we're commanded to do. That's what being a follower of Christ calls us to do, to love each other as we love ourselves. Loving others the, that way will result in us being loyal friends, the loyal friends that other people are looking for. Now let me end with some good news. It's the best news yet. If you have trusted him for salvation, Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our friend. He's not just our God. He's not just our Savior. He's our friend. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1. At one time, you were separated from God. You were his enemies in your minds, and the evil things you did were against God. But now God has made you his friends again. He did this through Christ's death. If you have ever felt like you don't have a loyal friend, turn to Jesus because he's your friend. Through his death on the cross, he made us friends again by taking care of the price of our sin and by giving us exactly what we needed most, forgiveness and hope and eternal life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we are not just your servants, but that you have called us 
friends. And now, Father, we pray that we can love other people the same way that you love us, that we can love others as we love ourselves. And Father, I pray that you will help those who are in our midst right now who are lonely, that they might take the risk again of relationship, that they might get themselves into a group where they can find friends, people with mutual interests, people who will share a mutual commitment, people, Father, who will give to them exactly what they need in their time of need, who will love them enough to be tough with them sometimes and tender with them at other times. Father, thank you so much that you didn't leave us in this world alone, that you gave us each other. Help us, Father, to begin to do life together in the way that you intended, that we might love one another the way that you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.